0: Yes, hello, welcome to the Nuff Podcast with your hosts, Arbi Elayachi and myself, Soon Suki. Today we're here with Rafif Siada, who's a Palestinian-Canadian poet, spoken word artist and activist, who currently lives in London, where she's a lecturer and researcher for the SOAS University of London. You probably know her from her viral poems, We Teach Life, Sir, and Shades of Anger. She has two albums out, uh, her deal and We Teach Life and uh she's with her with with us today
1: and we're very happy to have you hello hi Rafi. welcome
2: hi. welcome Rafif. thanks how does it feel
1: uh, a little bit strange this microphone is as big as my face it is, it <laughs> is. That's,
2: the, that's the reason why we have this uh, so we can hide behind yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. but
1: you're <laughs> hiding much better than i am <laughs>
2: because i have a bigger face <laughs> and I have a, a beard
1: <laughs> i'll work on that yeah.
2: Rafif this this isn't the first time uh, in belgium um what do you feel about us as Belgium, as a country? <laughs> this, is a-
1: this is my second time coming to present at Nafsed. Both times have been fantastic. The audience has been really warm. Um, it's sometimes uh, my poetry is very emotional, very political. So sometimes I get scared that people won't understand it. But each time I've come, people come up to me at the end of the show, give me big hugs, and they're crying, and they say thanks for what you're doing. So people have been very kind.
2: Indeed. But... What makes you afraid of the reaction of the people?
1: Well, I write about Palestine, so it's very political and very emotional at the same time. Not everyone understands the politics of the Middle East very well. Um, Sometimes you get negative reactions, of course. Uh, But I think because it's poetry, and what I'm doing is telling stories of ordinary people, it resonates with, with audiences in a different way. So quite often they'll say, Yes, we see it on the news, but we've never heard it firsthand from somebody who's saying it in this way.
2: Is it something that limits you uh, going places and uh, expressing yourself? Is it something that you carry carry with you? Uh, around? Of course,
1: of course. I mean, I've had a few instances where I've been shut out of places. Um, at one point in Canada, I couldn't perform in high schools anymore. I what? was supposed in to Canada? high yeah. schools in general. Yeah. Yeah. They put uh, well. Actually, what happened is after I performed, they Mm -hmm. put a new rule that any performers had to be vetted by the university administration and the board before they could perform in high schools. But that's
0: censorship.
1: Yes, it was horrible. Uh, And it was around one student who complained and brought in his family. I think he was an Israeli student. He wasn't very happy with what I said. But then immediately it escalated. So sometimes you get that kind of censorship as well, Mm -hmm. Um, much less in Europe, I actually have to admit there's but, the space for freedom of expression is still a lot bigger here, and we need mm-hmm. to protect it because there's some people who want to shut it down, yeah,
2: and one person one yeah, one all person it takes or...
1: is one complaint
2: and also
0: i'm I'm just amazed because I mean not that I know Canada that well, mm. but I would think of Canada as a. Yeah, a, a free country where free speech is,
1: you know, yeah, yeah. for everyone. And it's interesting because Canada is one of those countries that's marketed very much as a free exactly, speech country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, once you look underneath, like most countries, I'm sure the same is the case with Belgium as well. Once you start to yeah. dig underneath the surface, mm-hmm. you start to find out a lot of things like mm-hmm. Canada.
2: Yeah, in Belgium, you don't need to dig a Very deep. No no, <laughs> no, 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 Just go around the corner. You want, oh, oh, here oh, it, it is. Oh, okay.
1: yeah. Yeah. Just one yeah. scratch, like, what? <laughs> yeah. You What's don't even have here? to look
2: for it. It comes... <laughs> yeah. yeah it comes knocking, so hello, is there something going on here? yeah that's, yeah,
1: it's very similar in Canada. You go, and all you hear is multiculturalism, diversity, yeah, yeah and yeah. within the first week, it's you, it's all in your face, yeah, yeah,
0: but because, because it's, it's yeah, it's multiculturalism and diversity, but it's not inclusion, mm-hmm. like they don't go that far, yeah. Because
2: and even the prime minister, I think uh, Justin was, Trudeau, uh, Justin Trudeau was uh, caught uh, with in blackface. blackface
1: very recently. Yeah, recently. Yeah. Oh, Ooh. this was recently. Like the picture was recent. Oh, yeah, That, yeah, yeah. that it came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was quite recent that the yeah. revelation yeah. happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. But for people familiar with Canadian politics, it wasn't that surprising. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. <laughs> uh, but now you live in London. Yes. Well, there's no racism at all. No, of course.
2: (laughs) You solved that problem. You need to move to Belgium. (laughs) Come over and solve our problem too. Uh,
1: You know, before I got to England, I had never, wasn't able to vote because I didn't have documents. so I couldn't vote anywhere. And I finally got documents. And the first vote I ever took in my entire life was the Brexit vote. Really? (laughs) it was you exactly (laughs) I thought maybe it's me that's making this happen but yeah for three years now it's all been about Brexit in England yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then there's the election coming up next week so fingers crossed we don't end up with a horrible government again
0: yeah
2: what kind of election is it?
1: it's the prime ministerial election yeah Yeah.
2: so Boris Johnson is going to stay or go? uh, yeah
1: um, scary times it's very hard to tell right now Uh Mm -hmm. we have about a few days and we'll see how it goes Mm-hmm. Hopefully he doesn't come back.
2: Are you a political person? Are you a political uh, sensitive? <laughs> What's the word?
0: Uh,
1: tell, tell me in Dutch. Sensitive. Sensitive. As- That's the word. Oh, yeah. oh I'm yeah. sorry about uh, yeah. Well, with my other hat completely in the world, I teach politics and oh, I have okay. a PhD mm-hmm. in politics. So mm-hmm. I should know what I'm talking okay, about, definitely. hopefully, if yeah. I've studied it damn long enough. Um, but... People ask me quite often why I do political things and I mm-hmm. and I say like politics came into my life I didn't go to it yes. it's very okay. difficult to not be political when you're you know born into a refugee family know that there's people who can't return to their homes you're from the middle east even when you try to escape it the racism against arabs and muslims in the west is so mm-hmm. stark the islamophobia mm-hmm. is so stark that you have to be political whether you like it or not
2: is it-
0: uh, um I was wondering uh, because of your PhD in policy and, and you teach it and you research it, mm-hmm. um, uh, and but you're also an activist and very um, uh, yeah very adamant and very open about uh, you know human rights and, and but uh, for me it's it's baffling that you because you you study all the politics like you know you know the back end you know what's going on and for you to not get discouraged because when you see how far, you know, the tentacles of politics reach and Mm -hmm. how deep it really goes. I mean, do you get discouraged sometimes?
1: I do. I I mean, we're all human. And I I used to um, think that I should never say that, that, no, we're always strong and we're always tough and we're always fighting. But I think it's only human to sometimes get discouraged. And you need to get discouraged to also see how big the fight is and you can't do it all by yourself. Mm -hmm. At the same time, um, I feel the strength of many generations in my family who have gotten me to this stage. Wow. Like, uh, and I often say those are the things you don't read in books and the news doesn't talk about, is especially the stories of the women who carry their families through war, mm-hmm. who make sure people survive. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's in the simplest things, like you're in a, you're in a shelter and there's bombs and someone plays music and says, let's learn to dance even though the bombs are going. And to me, seeing that human courage and growing up with it—that's um, what keeps me inspired and keeps me grounded as well. Because mm-hmm. you can easily get discouraged, mm-hmm. but when you see so much like passion and love of life in the face of so much death and destruction, it makes you want to keep going.
0: Wow, that's amazing! Thank you. And can you? I mean, do you talk uh, like about this with like uh, your family? Like, is this a?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, when it's kind of normal part of life, you don't really need to talk about it's not like we sit and we say this is what Mm -hmm. happened to us as a matter of fact most of the time you want to just live life and not be discussing it all the time there's sometimes in survival there's a bit of denial Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. Uh, but Mm -hmm. but when you sit around the table you know we've all been through this and when you sit with the wider communities I mean now I I do poems like passports about getting a passport or crossing borders and immediately after I finish a a show I have about eight to 20 refugees and asylum seekers that walk up to me. And they could be from totally different parts of the world, uh, from Asia, from Africa, and they say, that really resonated with me because it's my story, it's how I came here, I walked across to Belgium, I did this or I did that. Mm -hmm. So I think the story of exile and refugees is unfortunately a very international one right now. Mm -hmm. So no matter what angle you say it from, Mm -hmm. people feel it. Yeah,
2: so we're still sensitive.
1: Are you? Are you telling me you're sensitive?
2: I am. I am. (laughs) I definitely am. No, the reason why I'm asking you is uh, because you said, okay, sometimes I lose hope, sometimes. uh, But still, you can see that people in general or as a human race, we're still sensitive for your message.
1: I think so. I think so. Um, I think we try to be tough and everything around us teaches us that we need to be strong and tough and not feel and just get on with life, mm-hmm. earn your living, make money, nine to five job, like that's what we do. Yeah. But still, um, it touches people and I think that's what's incredible. Yeah. I mean, sometimes when I teach my students, they always say, well, everyone is greedy and that's human nature. I actually think that's wrong. Like we are we are taught that that's human nature, mm-hmm. but once you really see people in their weakest moment, mm-hmm. like, uh, parents taking away food from their mouth to give it to their children. Then you realize we're not uh, we're not greedy. It's yeah. not human nature to be greedy. Actually, yeah. we we do want to survive, and people are happier when we survive together.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And are you sensitive? I try to be. Yeah. <laughs> were you? I w- cry on
1: stage th- a lot. Really? <laughs> <laughs> because uh, talking about crying, um,
2: yeah. when you did your poetry on Friday, there were a couple of people crying in the uh, in the audience. Did you see it? Or yes. did you feel that? Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: Some sometimes they come up to me and tell me and it's really I don't know what to tell people because mm-hmm. in a way I'm like it's good to cry sometimes. It's it's Definitely. important to to let it out and to feel these things because we've become so desensitized. Mm-hmm. You you watch the news and you know it's happening and you know people call it the refugee crisis and then you put it in this package and it's fine. But when you take it apart, it's we're talking about human beings that are drowning in the sea because mm-hmm. they just want to live safely somewhere mm-hmm. else. Yep. And when you tell the stories of people as humans, not as statistics or a package that's on the news, it should make us cry. If we're not crying, something is wrong with us.
2: Definitely. Uh,
0: um, I, I also, I studied journalism. And uh, I was, uh, um, because of, uh, in, your, in your poem, uh, we teach life. You talk about how uh, everything has to be bite-sized and Mm. fit into that many words. And um, we used to make items for TV. I mean, pretend items because we were students. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I was amazed that like one item is just two minutes or like one minute 30 or 40 or something, and then you have to, you know, you have to you have to have the images, then the sentences that have to fit on the images, and then you have to have a quote that fits your words. Mm-hmm. So it's more about making this, oh, look, I made this little piece of news, and it's not about bringing the whole story. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, there's some journalists that say uh, it would be better for us if we have news with longer segments. Mm-hmm. Like for instance say news lasts a half hour and with two segments
1: of fifteen minutes. What do you think about this? Like would this yeah. I, I think more than the length, mm-hmm. it's the politics behind it. Okay. It's um sorry to get political. But oh. it's about who owns the corporations that are making the news. Okay. Um what kind of news do they want to put out there? Mm-hmm. To whose benefit is the news? Um mm-hmm. is the news telling you about The average person and how they're living how they're struggling Mm -hmm. how they're making their their living every day how hard they have to work or is the news just giving us small clips Mm -hmm. so it's about the point of the news to begin with is it people-centered or is it more Mm corporate-centered and if it's people-centered then everything would change in the kinds of things we would report about We wouldn't just report numbers or statistics. We would report about people and how they live. And it it just changes the dynamic of what we even call news Mm -hmm. and what is really important. I mean, sometimes you watch the news and you think, why is this an item? Mm -hmm. Like, so and so model did so and so something. Like, who cares what? what yeah. she did. Mm-hmm. Why, why are we wasting our time with these people's lives when there's so much well, happening definitely. or like what they're eating or their diets, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. We, we're, and we consume so much of that kind of yes. material that it takes us away from real things happening in the real world. Mm-hmm. So I think length would definitely be helpful that everything is not bite-sized. So people, t- to get to know anything and really understand it, you need more than two minutes, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, we all become experts in everything in two minutes yeah. although even if the two minutes are done well I would be happy but even in the two <laughs> minutes they don't do them properly yeah. and they just give you snippets of information that don't give you a full story mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, cool. it's really it says a lot about our societies the kind of media I wonder sometimes if like an alien race would come and watch us and watch the news what they would think like it would be funny <laughs> yeah. i always like to think that uh in the future like like 200 years from
0: now we're gonna look back at this time and say oh we messed up Oh, exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> on every level
2: <laughs> is it uh, is it a part of uh of the times that we live in that that we're because I, I hear you say about the news, and I know how relevant it can be. But at the other side, like you said, there's a lot of news. I'm, uh, I'm not going to say I stopped watching news, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm just so skeptical yeah. about news, yeah. and I try to find a, a a truth in the combination of what I read, how I talk to people, what I is it is it also something that you're concerned with with. The,
1: you know i was i saw an article the other day that said about how many people are turning to comedy and poetry mm-hmm. to for for politics yes. yeah, like it's less true. and less yeah, people yeah. are watching the news they just don't believe it there's yeah. certainly a crisis and yeah. actually more people are getting yeah. like if you look for example even on like tv networks us tv networks mm-hmm. the shows that are news shows but parodies David are actually Show? being watched yeah. more yeah. than the real news and i think wow. that also says something about people's trust in the news media, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's for me. It's a bit exciting that people are turning to poetry as a form of information as well, yeah. and you see audiences growing for like mm-hmm. spoken word in a really impressive way in the past two years. Yeah, true. And, well. and why did uh, I wanted to ask you?
0: Why did you turn to poetry from all the art forms that are there to express yourself? Yeah. Why poetry?
1: Many different reasons. Um, yeah. I guess it. My poetry follows the journey of my own exile. Okay. So. Spoken word and poetry and storytelling is very grounded in Palestinian culture. Okay. Um, because of the experience of the Nakba and the ethnic cleansing of Palestine in forty eight, one of the ways to hold on to memory was through storytelling. So grandparents would always tell stories about Palestine. So I, I imbibed that kind of idea of always telling stories. Um, there's very wonderful Palestinian poets that I grew up with. I I learned how to perform poems from when I was at a very young age in Arabic. And then I lived in New York for a while and it was the first time I saw spoken word on stage and it just blew my mind. I couldn't believe someone could be like witty and funny and on stage and doing all of these things all together. I went to the New Yorican for the first time and it just changed my life. I thought like this is just what I have to do. But my English, the New Yorican. New York.
2: It's a spoken word uh, cafe oh. uh, where they have uh, performances. Yeah, in New York, I it's think a it's historical a historical one in terms it, yeah. of spoken word.
1: Okay. Yeah, and it was just incredible. But my English was really bad at the time, so I was too shy. I would make mistakes between words like tourist and terrorist, which, as an Arab, <laughs> you was shouldn't this, do. Uh, before
2: nine eleven or after? 9/11? <laughs> it was
1: after nine eleven. After nine so okay. okay, eleven. Uh, okay. Let's let work you know, <laughs> let's work well, on the English a little yeah. bit. Oh god. <laughs> Um, And then I performed my first poem um, after an incident that happened at my university that was a bit of a clash uh, and I was told something very offensive Mm -hmm. that I deserved to be raped before I had terrorist children. And that comment, I mean, I almost want to go back and thank that guy Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I was so angry. It was the first time I performed on stage Mm -hmm. and I literally did the entire poem with my fists clenched and my eyes closed because I was so nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh. once it ended, I opened my eyes and there was a standing ovation. Wow. And then I've been performing ever since. Wow. Oh.
0: And uh, I also wanted to ask you the moment, you know, this person said this to you and you, you didn't say nothing at the moment itself. Like, and I was wondering how, how did I, c- what happened in your head? Like,
1: well, p- Part of the, part of the trouble is that we have to be so careful and control our emotions and control yes. ourselves. Because if, anyth- if we do anything, then we are labeled as the angry, aggressive, mm-hmm. violent, terrorist, blah, 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 you know, the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So we have to be a thousand times more careful yes. than an average person in how we behave and what we do. Mm-hmm. And we actually have to train ourselves in not reacting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you hear that stuff. I've had it happen so many times, whether in demonstrations or on stage, where people will say, you don't exist. You're not real people. And you just have to, you know, stand your ground, be tough, mm-hmm. and not react to it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a form of violence, and I think people don't recognize it always as a form of violence. Um, but in that moment, I, I couldn't do anything. I just had to hold my ground and stay quiet. Mm-hmm. But then the poem came out of it. So poetry has been a way to sort of express that rage. Mm-hmm.
0: It's maybe but even necessary to yes, do yes. I wouldn't survive. Survival. I wouldn't yeah. survive without it. It mm-hmm. would be very difficult.
1: Mm.
2: But it sounds also like violence towards yourself when you have to force yourself not to speak up and not to fight back, push back. Is, is that a good thing?
1: No, but it's also about learning when to fight and when to push back and how to fight and how to push back. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes people are trying to instigate. They're trying to get a reaction out of you to say, ah, mm-hmm. oh, look at them, they get angry. So to be able to know when someone is trying to push your buttons mm-hmm. is also a strength. Yeah. It's it's also, it takes, I think, huge strength and dignity to say, I'm not going to let you provoke me.
2: Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, um, because it reminds me also about the struggle that we have, uh, that we're confronted with on a daily basis. And sometimes it would be so easy and so liberating just to react just mm. to go okay i'm gonna punch you in the face mm. right now because you do deserve to you're be much punched bigger
1: th- than i am i no, can't no, punch no, people in the no. face
2: but if you punch people you go oh how cute yeah, you jump. don't need to reach up uh, you can go right there, right there. <laughs> down to the knees and then they're on the head okay well, we're not going to uh, uh, we're not going to do violence but still but it yeah i'm just thinking about um about Rafif uh Rafif as a Palestinian refugee being in that position in New York being spoken on that way to where's the anger where's the
1: well the poem is called shades of anger okay. so certainly yeah. it, it comes out in the poetry right um Certainly, and I, and I think that's fine because a lot of people also don't want us to be angry. Mm. And they get a bit scared on stage when there's an angry Arab woman. And that's why that's the title of the poem, because yeah. I think we need to own our anger as well. Definitely. Like what's happening is horrifying and we need to be angry. And it's, it's actually more justified that I'm angry than that they are not. Yeah. And I often tell people, my question is, why are you not angry? Not mm-hmm. why am I angry? Why yeah, are yeah. you not upset about what's happening around you? So I I definitely don't want to hide that there is rage. Mm -hmm. Um, I just don't want to give someone the satisfaction of provoking me. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I wanted
0: to ask you also, uh, um, because uh, we talked about rage and anger and uh, also about you getting uh, courage from your ancestors and Mm -hmm. the strength of of women and of your family. And, um, but uh, a friend of mine is also is an activist and she says sometimes it's very heavy uh to be talking about this stuff every day and performing and also having people come up to you you they tell them your story uh, they tell you their stories and it's just she's happy with what she's doing but it's it's a lot at times for you as a person mm-hmm. is there any way for you to step out of it like do you have mechanisms in place or maybe i don't know
1: yeah i do fun stuff yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i try um yeah, I mean, I, my family is very supportive, and I find being around them is really helpful in mm-hmm. terms of grounding me in like w- what I'm doing and who mm-hmm. I am. That's really helpful. I have a very good g- group of friends as well. Um, it's also, for me, the story of refugees and exile is important because when I hang out with other friends who are refugees, we just have fun. Yeah. Like we're not there to tell our story. We all know. But that common knowing is also really helpful mm-hmm. because you don't have to keep retelling it all the time.
0: hmm Okay. And also when something like a thought comes up uh, about being a refugee or it, and then you tell it to your friends and you don't have to explain everything around exactly. it. Exactly. You can just say it and yeah. they'll be like, "Yeah, I felt that last yeah. week." Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it
1: helps to have people close to you who just know. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do the whole background. It's not a political training where you're starting from zero. They just know. Yeah. And it's a comfortable space. And mm-hmm. that's I think that's a very important mechanism of survival. Mhm. Mm-hmm.
2: On uh, Friday, you told uh, that there was um, almost uh, uh, a test on the first date. Can you tell us uh, something (laughs) about it? So there's a test if you go on a first date (laughs) with a Palestinian?
1: Well, you have to know Palestinian history very well. Okay. (laughs) Because all the references are to like 48. Okay. So 48 is the year of ethnic cleansing of Palestine. Mm -hmm. 67 is the year of the occupation. Mm -hmm. So quite often we'll be speaking and we'll say, "Yeah, yeah, I'm a 48 Palestinian. My friend is from 67. And if someone doesn't know this, they'll just okay. look at you like, what are these numbers? What are you talking about? So this <laughs> so, is like the Palestine test. You have to remember those dates. <laughs> and if you no. don't click in the first date, the second one is not They're going not to happen. Going, it's yeah. just not going to happen.
2: So people who want to go on date with a Palestinian woman or a guy. 48 they need, and 67, you need to know.
1: And intifada, yeah. probably the first and, and second. the second one. <laughs> there must be uh-huh. some kind of test like that here too.
2: Um. Yeah, no, no, not, not really. really. No, <laughs> not no. even about
1: chocolate or something. No,
2: no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can ruin date by saying oh, I love Swiss chocolate, and they uh. go like, "Okay, fuck <laughs> <laughs> <Fair laughs> off." Uh, you're in Belgium, and that's a weird thing. We don't have any uh, cacao bone in Belgium. Yeah. So that's uh, no. I think. Uh, what about the history of the, the history? Chocolate? Congo, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Congo oh. is. Uh, yeah.
1: Is that don't. a touchy subject?
0: Oh well uh no because it's not a subject. Mm. It's not uh, I'm half Congolese and my mm. dad's Congolese and my mom's Belgian and this subject is uh like not taught. I mean not taught properly uh-huh. in high schools or in elementary schools. It's when you, there it's erased out it's of a race. Race. Mm. the education. Because everybody here always talks about, you know, uh you know, Hitler or Stalin or or you know other um, yeah. dictators that killed millions and millions of people but there's millions and millions of people killed in congo and of like nobody talks about this there was people the black people in in brussels in a zoo in a zoo for people to look at this is 19 uh what uh, was it 58? 58? 58 58 58 1958 that's not long enough yeah. ago you know yeah, yeah. but people here they don't this it's not part of the everyone's all they had germany oh they were so bad and they were really bad i mean the government they were really bad. but people don't they don't realize what our history in Belgium and no. Congo is and now they're like oh and Congo is so unstable you know it's not stable all these people there or they don't know how to have a government yeah because you destroyed it yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but it's just it yeah it's it's not a subject here and there's some there has been some effort into mm. bringing it into the public discourse there's been a show um a documentary uh five parts or six parts called uh, children of the colonies um, about Congo and uh, I think also about Rwanda because we also have a big history there with uh, yeah like basically child abductions actually and yeah. but that's a whole other story yeah mm-hmm. it's yeah the like Belgium's the, the government and like the kings like their hands are really really dirty yeah but it's not a subject yeah
2: yeah, and there is yeah. actually I have friends who have uh, grandparents who lived in Congo who, who were uh, yeah how do you say it uh, misusing the Congolese people and they were like yeah my, my grandfather talks like that but he can't because he used to live in Congo and uh, he, he uses the N word and it's not and then it's just very difficult. I had uh, a bit in my show about um, the cutting of hands mm. and people didn't react with a laugh but they, they reacted okay yeah tell us more because we don't know mm-hmm. and then it comes, it becomes very weird as a comedian to state history because I'm not a historian. Mm. And it's just something weird that I have to be the first person on stage at for them at the moment to talk about something that happened years ago that's part of the Belgian history. But there is a sensitivity. Do you feel like that there is also a big sensitivity when you as a Palestinian try to talk about... Uh, the stuff that's happening now in palestina
1: absolutely yeah um i mean the the thing with palestine is there's a huge difference on the popular level and the the government level so most people actually are receptive and understand what's happening or at least have an idea that something Mm -hmm. is going wrong that it's not correct what's happening there Mm -hmm. that there is a population in gaza that's under siege there's a population in the west bank that's under an occupation and that that's not good is it international? Does everyone believe it? No, but there's a bit of a sensitivity and an awareness. But still, um, people don't know what it's really like. They know the news headlines. They mm-hmm. knew very, in a very shallow way, but not the reality of what it is to live your every day where your life is controlled by a soldier. Yeah. Whether your children go to school, whether you get a driver's license, is all controlled by an occupying military. That, that kind of information people don't have. Mm-hmm. And I often tell them, like, go there, go to Palestine, see it for yourself. Um, but you also you don't always need to see for yourself to understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And hopefully part of what I do is try to bring some of that to the stage to, to raise awareness and get people to think of it differently, not just from a news angle, but from how people live and survive.
2: What would you recommend? What, what would you recommend to people to, to get to that point of, I want to visit Palestine. I want to see it for myself. Is there something that you can say, do? Because it's th- the weird thing. the The reason why I'm asking this because uh, a couple of weeks ago, as see, uh, I've seen an advert uh, advertisement mm. for, uh, I think Transavia, who um, who sells tickets, uh, flights to Tel Aviv for uh, under 100 euros yeah. to go party to go party. Yeah, and I'm like. Hmm? Yeah, haven't haven't you seen the advertisement? Yeah. It's yeah. like uh, yeah. an air, uh, yeah, an airfare of a hundred euros. You can go uh, to to Tel Aviv, and I'm like, what? Should we? W- what?
1: Well, what that we should definitely boycott. Definitely, definitely, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. But the
2: the, <laughs> the the weird thing is that <laughs> that there's a country who yeah. who promotes like as a party, as a, a holiday destination. At the other part, it's. It's um, uh, yeah. It's so.
1: What's 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 so offensive to me is that you go party in Tel Aviv, and right next to you, like in less than an hour drive, mm. are people that are being starved. Yeah. Like literally, Israeli generals said they're calculating how many calories should enter the Gaza Strip, because people should be on a certain calorie amount, and yet you're advertising a party town at mm. the same time, and and this. This change for me is is incredible. Like, how do people go to a club and dance and date and have, do all that when right next to them, that's happening? It's really, it it makes me think a lot about how mm-hmm. humans sometimes forget certain things to live, and can party while so much destruction is happening next to them. Mm-hmm. Um, Certainly, there's a huge marketing campaign around Tel Aviv being a party yeah. town. So for me, one of the starting points is to like boycott those kinds of trips. Yeah. Um, if you're feeling a really bad urge to travel, go to the West Bank um, and see, see firsthand what's happening there. There's now a lot people can do. And I think here in Belgium, there's a few solidarity groups that are doing a very good job. I think one of them was at the event the other night. Palestinian
2: solidarity. You uh,
1: raised great funds for them. I think.
2: Just sold my soul for (laughs) (laughs) the Palestinian solidarity. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I'm (laughs) performing.
1: (laughs) The Palestinian people, thank you (laughs) (laughs) You for your generosity. You're more than welcome. (laughs) I think things like that really matter and make a difference. Um, People getting involved, people raising awareness. um, people traveling and supporting these solidarity groups. And of course, I myself am active in the boycotts, divestment and sanctions movement because I do think nowadays we can easily compare Israel to apartheid South Africa. Definitely. And Same thing. And just as uh, people boycotted apartheid South Africa, I think this is the generation that needs to boycott Israel. Can so you explain th- to us what it is, the boycott? Um, what sure. This is the, yeah. So this is a Palestinian led movement. It's mm-hmm. a call that came from Palestine, mm-hmm. and it came exactly one year after the International Court of Justice called the apartheid wall illegal. Mm -hmm. But a year after that decision and, you know, all Mm -hmm. Palestinians were happy. We said, this is a historic decision. International law is on our side. Nothing changed. Mm -hmm. The building Mm -hmm. of the wall continued. So this call came from Palestine and made three demands. Mm -hmm. uh, An end to the occupation, the right for Palestinian refugees to return And equality for Palestinian citizens who are Israeli, have Israeli citizenship. Mm -hmm. So it's a basic call for equality and human dignity. There's nothing too crazy about it. Mm -hmm. And the idea is we boycott Israeli products, we divest, meaning we pull money if we are investing in Israeli companies or institutions, um, and sanction Israel, which is the last stage that happened in South Africa. This Mm -hmm. would be at the international level, until it abides by international law. Mm -hmm. What yeah.
2: kind of uh, companies should we boycott? Or uh,
1: There's lots of things. Uh, one of the big campaigns in Europe right now is, of course, around settlement products, uh, products that are coming from the illegal settlements. There's are quite a lot of trade between the EU and uh, Israeli agricultural companies. So that's one big area. Mm-hmm. Another company for a campaign I worked around was G4S. G4S is the security company. You oh, must yeah, see yeah. them oh, around the here. Oh, the red and black logo. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yes. Eight eight yeah. they're... Yes. yes. <laughs> They're evil on so many levels. Really? Yeah. Yes. I'm not aware. They are one oh. of the biggest employers in the world, mm-hmm. but they also uh, are provide security for detention centers where asylum seekers are held, horrendous conditions. Um, mm. There's been a few people killed under their custody who were being returned. Um, there was a man in England who was being returned to his country and he was killed by the guards on the plane. Um, They also, in terms of Palestine, provide security for Israeli prisons. And in some instances, this is where Palestinian child prisoners are being held. They provide the security systems. And they provide security systems for the checkpoints um, in the West Bank as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, they're a security company. So those are the kinds of things they provide. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. They're also a horrible impro- employer. I think they're the biggest employer in Africa, the entire continent of Africa. Really? Yeah. yeah. And they, it's horrendous working conditions. Because all the oil companies and the gas companies, when they go and exploit in Africa, and I use the word exploit on purpose, mm-hmm. um, hire security guards. Because they don't want the communities around to stop them from mining, mm-hmm. so they hire G4S security guards who are, of course, very badly paid. So yeah. when we think of security, the company is basically securing um, any corporation that yeah. wants protection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Almost like
0: like mercenary type. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh
2: yeah.
0: There's so much knowledge in um, economy, like mm. um, because that's what you studied as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do
1: political economy. Yeah. There's so I, much? Think yeah. it's, I think it's hard To understand our world today Without understanding it Like yes. everything that moves um, Like I tell my students Look at everything you're wearing And everything you own Yes It was made somewhere else Yes In horrible conditions It's traveled all the way here Yes So we need to understand Like who's making the things we use From mm-hmm. our food mm-hmm. To everything Everything Like Everything around us was made somewhere else Mm -hmm. using like either child labor, horribly paid labor, and then makes its way to us. Yes. And we know nothing about it. We're just like, hey, I'm happy with my iPhone.
0: Yeah, true. (laughs) And it's also like that everything comes at that. We always forget that everything comes at a price. Yeah. If you pay two euros for your leggings. There's a reason for that. Because someone else paid the extra 48 euros that you should have paid. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. for those leggings, I don't buy leggings. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> me neither.
2: Oh, My oh, drop. <laughs> <laughs> you look good in leggings. Grinning, you should try. <laughs> really? No. But um, no, uh, no I'm, not. I'm I'm boycotting <laughs> <leggings>. <laughs> um, uh,
0: I was talking to uh, the owner of of uh, People Tree, which is um, a clothing company that works with uh, uh, like an honest clothing company, and they really, you know, like not just honest as a label, but they. Uh, so she really goes personally to um, um, uh, cotton farmers mm. out in Asia and also people that color fabric bricks and people that do the weaving. And, like, she visits all those places, and they really have, like, a, a one-on-one conversation mm. with the makers, you know. It's not just, like, any big old factory. It's just, like, they mm. really see the producers themselves. And, like, I uh, what I thought was really interesting also is how she said that like the things we wear and like the things we choose to buy, they also, um, they're actually like so, such a big part of our identity, and how good and how positive it is that you can wear something that. You know, this person designed and is very passionate about this other person, you know, grew the cotton, you know, like in safe conditions and like with a proper wage. And then it was colored by people who have a passion for color. And then it was weaved by other people who like have been weaving for generations. And they really, and then you have this piece of fabric that's, that means something completely different than, you know, but, something that was made out of
2: yes, pain. So, mm. so what are you saying is what you wear will help you, uh, Get more confident, or confidence to stand up to corporations like that are mistreating uh, people in general. I think, so that, but that's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful message. They start with that.
0: It, I think it's just the, the message of uh, consciousness, mm. of like, what do you do with your life? Like everything yeah. you do has. A message and an an effect.
1: I think also the question of consumption is here really important. I saw like some statistic the other day around how much more clothes people own today than just from 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the items, people used to have so much less items and now because it's so cheap, people just amass it. And of course, there's this idea that you need to always buy things. So even if we will go for things that are locally produced and good. It's still not sustainable with the amount of consumption happening today. Kay. And that's a big question to really think about mm-hmm. is just is also how we're living. Like, yeah. Do we really need all the shit that we have? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I like a lot of shit that I have. I'm not like mm-hmm. we should go back and not have anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the question of consumption, especially nowadays with climate change and ideas of climate change yeah. and what's happening, it's really getting to the heart of questions about how we live. Mm-hmm. um what we eat what we produce because it's all of course connected and we've taken the environment for granted for so long yeah mm-hmm. but that's
2: the mm. that's the weird beautiful other side of of this story is that we don't uh, that that we don't learn from uh, the refugees mm. because if you would see the refugee they they live in a situation where you just have to grab stuff and they have to run That means that we don't need a lot of stuff. If people like that can survive, why are we so, yeah. Yeah.
1: I do a writing workshop and one of the exercises I do is I ask people if today someone came into your house or soldiers came into your house and said leave, this is no longer yours, it's mine, Mm. what would you take with you if you had 10 minutes? Um, Funnily enough, most people today say their phone and they forget about their charger, so I'm like, if you're going to take your phone, you probably yeah, need your charger as well, <laughs> 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 but leave I think your it's... phone,
2: just take the charger. you will <laughs> make a lot more money to me.
1: but it's it's interesting that people never think of that like what what would you what would you take for example me yeah
2: um i could i'm i don't know I, I'm just saying now, but I would leave everything hmm? I would just. Yeah the 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 weird thing about the phone is that the, it's the connection to the world it's the connection but at the other side life is a connection to the world exactly so i would even leave my phone mm. that's a, that's the yeah, yeah it and that's my personal fight is that i'm uh, i'm a sensitive guy and um uh, i'm really touched and it hurts me so much thinking about the palestinian question that I'm trying to distract myself from it because I know it's, how do you, how do, you do it? Because you're even closer mm. to that. Is there, is there an, a universal excuse? Are we just human, we can't solve everything?
1: For me, one of the ways is to be active. Um, I think if I was inactive, I would feel horrible and mm. like I'm not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, being active in any way Uh, through the poetry, through my activism, not just through my art, because I think art also gives you a space to do something. So you can tell the stories through the art, but there's also, if, if I can be active in boycotts, divestments, and sanctions or send a message that also changes things on the ground, then I'm very happy to be part of it. And I think... For, that's one of the best ways I think to deal with it Because you are doing what you can mm-hmm. And everyone can do a few basic things mm-hmm. Maybe we all can't change all of the world all at once But we can do a few basic things Whether we consume differently Or raise awareness Or even the tumbula you did Even yeah. things like that are really yeah. important Because it means you're you're doing something yeah. And that's better than doing nothing Which is a lot, what a lot that's of people true. do
2: Sometimes it feels we need to do a lot more, yeah,
1: it always feels that way, yeah, and it's it's living with that um living with that and nurturing it slowly and always trying to be active even with the little that we can do is what's he- healthy, i think, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, is that also uh what you try to teach your students, I mean, you yes. teach different courses, but uh. Yes, very much. So um, I try to tell them to not just read the text, but understand who's writing the text, why they are writing it, yeah. what message they're trying to give you. Don't always just accept the messages that you're getting. Always question. I even tell them to question me oh. I'm like you always need to be critical, question everything you read, everything you hear.
0: And do they question you? They do. Yes. Yes. Is it uh, is it
1: hard or sometimes? No, it's fun. It's yeah. fun because we can actually get to the point of things mm-hmm. um, quite often people just accept certain things like the point about humans are greedy or we always need to have private property or we always need to consume a lot because people want choice and then they ask me and we can have a conversation about it and quite often people change their mind okay. from just things they've always accepted and thought were the truth sometimes i change my mind you know from examples they give me as well yeah yeah can you feel the students changing from the, the beginning of when you start to give them uh, your course and then the end? Yeah, that's the most fun part about teaching is you see people grow and change as they read, as they, you know, like one of the books they read is uh, Walter Rodney, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa. Everyone should read this book. It's the classic history. And you just see how their entire relationship, you know, a lot of students start and they're naive and they say, I'm studying this because I want to save Africa, so we're starting yeah. from yeah. Africa is a continent. It's, yes. not a, it's, not a <laughs> it's not a country. It's you're not, a country. It's not gonna go save <laughs> it, you know. <laughs> so we have to start there, and then we go on a journey. Yeah. And usually by the end of the journey, they've you know things have changed. Okay, yeah, that's
0: so nice that you can, because you say like we we try our best, but you do a lot of things like you're in the, in the, you teach people at university, you're in the research world as well, but you also express yourself through art. So, you know, there's so many stones that you're, you know, moving in the river.
1: Yeah. And I, I think if we were allowed to, more people would be like this. They would do mm-hmm. a lot more things. But unfortunately, you know, we start school and they tell you you're either good at art or good at math. Mm-hmm. And yes. then they filter you that way. And then you study science or something else. And I think people become very one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. But most people, like, I meet computer people and they're always like, I've always wanted to be a guitar player. <laughs> it's yeah. so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm always it's like, well, then do it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I'm like, just do it. Let's yeah. see how it goes, what are you mm-hmm. gonna lose, yeah. yeah. Is
2: it changing the peop- uh, that uh, pers- uh, perspective of uh, you need to be one thing, Do you come across... Is it changing generally? Generally, or for you, for...
1: uh... I mean, it is hard for me. People don't, can't calculate. Like last year I had a student who thought I had a twin sister the whole year yeah. and at the end of the year she said please thank your twin sister for her poetry I really like it and I said no. I don't have a twin sister no, <laughs> no, it was and mean. also she has the same name as you exactly like, like Rafif and work. Rafif like, maybe they thought it was Rafif an Arab thing It's Rafif is Yeah, something yeah. else is happened yeah so it's uh, people are not used to it. Although, like you, you look at history and quite a lot of the artists we know were like politicians and artists and Definitely. poets, and they drew and did multiple yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oscar yeah. Wilde. Uh, Most people. A lot of. Uh, and there's
0: there's also uh, more um, similarities between science and art than people would think. Mm-hmm. Because I was talking to this. uh This young girl uh, who is really into physics, but like in the the theoretical part, like the Einstein, you know, like the questions of life that are in physics. And she's like, yeah, you know, physics and and, uh, um, uh, philosophy really do have a lot in common. Definitely. And also when you look at, when you look at like, I'm also a dancer, when you look at like, like rhythms or like, and then you look at math and like the, there's so many similarities, but yeah, it's hard to
1: because there's such separate worlds right now exactly sometimes hard to see yeah Yeah. which is also part of the whole sorry not to get very environmentally but it's it's part of how we've also separated ourselves like from where we live we've separated ourselves from what we consume Mm -hmm. we've also separated like our even how we think of ourselves as people Mm -hmm. we can't like, we can't do certain things together anymore, which is strange. I feel like everyone, oh. there's no one who doesn't enjoy a bit of music or a bit of poetry. Like, quite often people will say, I don't like your poetry. I don't like yeah. poetry in general. I hate poetry. And then they hear something different. And yeah. they're like, oh, I didn't even realize this was poetry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sometimes it happens also in comedy. So, yeah. I don't like comedy yeah. in general. I know, not do like comedy exactly. but you haven't uh, seen the right one uh, seen the one. right yeah. one yeah. Uh, I get that a lot <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, no. and then do they come to your shows and change their mind
2: uh, sometimes <laughs> it happens <laughs> but uh, uh, not so often <laughs> no, 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 no. I have a family who went, uh, who came uh, watching me uh, uh, m- my last show and they're like uh, I know uh, my brother-in-law is very he's very calculated he's very sensitive to conspiracy and no he's not a conspiracy terrorist of ter- I do it <laughs> just to give you a- <laughs> <laughs> He's not into a very but he's uh, very aware of that there is a lot of political uh, power and and I was scared because he, he can be very factual he goes like uh, I was afraid for his response go like hmm didn't like it didn't like it. But he really enjoyed it. Okay. And that's that's always a, oh, okay, that's yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But his face was like, he uh, was very like, serious. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. Oh, okay, I see what you do there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But do you <laughs> have. Yeah, in my performance yesterday, in how yeah. do you p- pronounce Hank, uh, yeah. people all looked very serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yes. they but they were very happy. They were all clapping and it was great and they were such a nice audience. Definitely. But people's reactions are very different. Yeah. Yeah. I did a show in Finland once mm-hmm. and I thought they hated me. I was like, <laughs> no one is reacting, no one. Um, but then I walked outside and the organizer said, oh, they loved you. Did you see how long they were clapping? Oh, okay. and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh hey. So that's apparently, the star. Yeah, that's I was like, Ooh. apparently in Finland, the longer they clap, they clap then the... they like you. So, all right, I'll take that. <laughs>
0: Do you have a a favorite place to perform or like
1: maybe like a very good memory about one place? Um, Oh, lots of places. Um, I performed in an art festival in Cuba once Mm -hmm. and that was incredible because they turned the entire city into an art festival. Oh, wow. So they had things all over the streets. It was all public. It was all free. Um, The performances were all public they're all free and that was just incredible you see a city transform into art so you had little children doing ballet and someone playing the piano and someone doing poetry and it was just incredible beautiful um i performed in ireland and that's always beautiful because of the historic connection between ireland and palestine yeah there's a huge palestine solidarity campaign Mm -hmm. Um, and i have to say enough said has always been an amazing place to perform because it's like a family and you come into the space and everyone's like a family
2: yeah. You know, you're always welcome at the Nuffset family. Thank you. But we don't like suck ups. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh my
0: God. This I, is don't, the, I this don't share the opinion of my co host. <laughs> Thank you no, very much. No, no. Thank you. No. <laughs> I'll turn oh, around and see you now. <laughs> and we
2: don't like sellouts. Okay. <laughs>
1: I'm just let's continue kidding. now oh my god
2: yeah the first uh, go ahead no I'm just, kidding. We're just kidding we'd love to have you we, um, um tell tell us also a little bit about uh, because you travel all over the world uh, you meet a lot of people is there um beside a country a kind of person that you love to be around is it is it family or is it new people
1: Um, it's always lovely to meet new people uh, I really like meeting new people at performances. It's always interesting and to hear what people think. Uh, but it also helps to keep me going. Like when someone okay. comes up to me and says, "You changed my mind about the situation," or "You made yeah. me want to learn more." um That that always helps to keep me continue what I'm doing mm-hmm. because it you know it's hard to juggle all of these things. Like you have a job and you're trying to travel back and forth and produce and any artist will tell you it's hard to be an independent artist anyway Mm -hmm. it's not like there's hundreds of labels that are supporting independent political art Mm -hmm. so you're trying to like etch it out um so hearing that from people and meeting new people is always incredible it's it's part of why i do it yeah Yeah. Uh, yeah. um how do you because you because you're you have such a busy
0: schedule Mm. Um, how much space in your mind do you need to write to write? Uh, do you go like on a weekend away? I or? try
1: to take breaks, especially in the summer when I'm not teaching uh, to just write. Yeah, uh, It's the only way. A lot of my poetry is also reactive. So sometimes something will happen on the news and I'll see it and I can't help but write a poem. OK, so sometimes it just mm-hmm. comes out quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, other times I try to take a break to sort of put something longer together.
0: Mm-hmm. How long would you say you work on a poem when it's like a reactive kind of poem? Is it like
1: all in one go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. those just come out. Wow. Yeah. And do you change them afterwards? Um, I change them. Sometimes I do a bit of editing or when I perform them on stage, um, sometimes there's changes as well. Some lines work well, some yeah. don't. Um, and do you change like during the performance, where you're like in your head, oh no, I'm gonna say it like this is yes, better. Yes, yes, and sometimes that drives the musicians crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 well, <Yeah. I> <laughs> they're waiting for that one
0: sentence yeah. where they like yeah. and where they're the, gonna do their thing yeah, and yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, just like they're oh, they're oh I'm not doing okay, that okay yeah, yeah, yeah. when is
2: yeah. the cue okay miss that cue <laughs> yeah, yeah. okay exactly. are we doing something about that <laughs> exactly. and then, all right
1: oh this poem has now <laughs> changed we'll changed. keep going but you know <laughs> they, they know me so they know uh, that's yeah. the style I do yes yeah, mm-hmm. so, I mean sometimes something will happen before a performance and yeah. I'll want to integrate it or um I remember once when I was in Finland and I was waiting in line and there were a couple of Roma people that were trying to get food and two people pushed them away and harassed them and told them to get out. So I I integrated that into my performance very quickly. Wow. So sometimes, you know, I like to see the space I'm in and what's happening around it and see if something needs to be said. Wow. And this was a human rights festival. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I felt yeah. it needed to be said. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, it's bad everywhere. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I had... Uh, Last time I was uh, invited to a festival called Equality, Mm. and the room was filled with white (laughs) people—only white (laughs) people—and I was like, I was. uh, It was okay. Yeah, it it was okay, but it was very weird. Mm. Not to say anything about it because I know the people. They come. They have good intention. They want to be educated. They want to be uh, open for it. But it's very weird, just not stating the obvious. Exactly. And yeah. Do you find that um, that it's also a part of spoken word, that mm. you need to state the obvious?
1: It's a tough one because I think sometimes there's uh, some spoken word that does too much stating of the obvious, okay. where it becomes more like giving a speech, um, yeah. and there's a fine line, I think. Um, and And you see it, you know, people's poetry also changes. A lot of poets start off when they're very young just being like, I'm gonna tell you what it's like. Mm -hmm. And then their style changes with time. And I I think it's very important to give people room to grow and change. My my style has changed quite a lot from Mm -hmm. each CD to the Mm -hmm. next. But I do think there's something about spoken word and why I like it as a form about its honesty that you are on stage with an audience, you have to communicate, and there's a certain truth you're telling. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the, the power of spoken word, that it's not simply about like writing poetry on the page mm-hmm. where people can read it later, it's you also want to communicate it and to make it clear what you're trying to communicate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to communicate something. I'm not trying to be like, I am so smart and artistic, you yeah, don't yeah, understand yeah. what I'm saying. I want you it. want to do the dialogue <laughs> like, you'll go I, like hey I'm let's talk about it let's yeah. have a conversation yeah, yeah. definitely um, is there a reason that
0: you um because I mean I haven't found any uh, written like any mm. books of you like is there a reason that you choose to go for spoken word albums with music
1: instead of uh, a a book it's not a very conscious choice I it mm-hmm. wasn't like one day I said this is the only way I'll do it and I am (laughs) working on a book and I hope it does come out soon Uh, it's just because I was performing on stage the music sort of came naturally and um, I worked with a musician on my last album and hopefully my next one uh, whose name is Phil Yes, he's produced both albums and he. Um, How did you meet him? Because he's Australian? We met at a BDS conference, actually, funny enough. They had What's organized BDS? the Boycott Divestment oh, sanctions okay. thing I was talking about. Yes. So they had organized one. I went, we met, and we decided to collaborate. And uh, the music really helped the poetry. And so yeah. we've been doing it that way ever since. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I was uh, just thinking, but that's the, my comedic mind uh, who's fucking up things. And when you said, like, uh, it's not that I woke up and went, uh, fuck books. I, don't <laughs> <laughs> I hate books. I'm going to do only spoken <laughs> word, even if it takes me a hole. <laughs> even though I'm a scholar, <laughs> I hate I, reading. Exactly. I hate books. I hate everything to do with books. No, I love books. Yeah,
1: yeah. I own a lot of books. I should own less books, but uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are you reading at the moment? Um, now it's mostly things for my teaching. Oh, um okay. so th- I'm teaching next week Angela Davis, Why Prisons oh, Are Obsolete. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's what I've been reading. One. Yeah, it's a brilliant one. Everyone should read that book.
2: Wow. Well,
1: Let's uh, see. Yes. Yeah.
2: Uh I'm I going think to we do a, to, Yeah. this is the awkward part where I'm looking at Sue, do you have any questions and she goes like because No, okay is and I'll time. take my sip <laughs> <soup> of tea <laughs> <laughs> the batteries oh, <laughs> yes
0: we're out of time
2: <laughs> there's the technology afraid. the battery <laughs> only if we had some electricity somewhere
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> only if there was some kind of outlet in oh, the wall that would just you know, plug it in and provide, <laughs> provide <laughs> but, uh, electricity
2: uh, Rafif uh, anything you want to say to uh, our crowd to our uh, public who's uh, viewing and listening to the podcast
1: thank you so much for listening and viewing and thank you to the two of you this was a lot of fun oh, thank you fun for uh, for being here yes thank you Rafiv. thank you <laughs>